Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. There have been moments in the last uh, three weeks when I have sort of regretted doing Ecclesiastes. <laughs> there have been moments in the last few weeks when you have regretted <laughs> that I've been doing Ecclesiastes. Uh, but we have, and uh, so be it. Uh, we have... Um, I'm just going to find it. We have um, looked at the fact that the book is odd. There are times when you wonder why should this be in the Christian Bible. It has been, it is, and continues to be complex. It is multi-layered. Um, it is random. It is a personal journal written uh, by uh, the preacher, as he calls himself, uh, rather than a, a systematic theological treatise. It is dark, talking about meaninglessness and death. And it is beautiful. And one of the beautiful passages is the one that has just been read to us from chapter 12. So it is, it is without doubt a challenging book we have been trying to find a way into it and through it. And four things have occurred to us as we've gone along. First of all, or, or occurred to me, and I've offered them to you. First of all, that the, the, the man who calls himself the preacher, what he's doing is he's putting himself in the shoes of a person who does not believe in God. And he's pushing that thesis to its limits and saying, does it really make sense of life that there is no God? That's what he's trying to do. The second thing is that we have decided that we needed to do something about the word meaninglessness because it's just a jolly word to keep saying. Uh, some translations have vanity. I personally have opted for the notion of um, vapor, that life is like a vapor, life is insubstantial, life is floating free, uh, life cannot be quite taken hold of, it escapes. Uh, our, our, uh, our grasp and uh, the other thing that we've been trying to do is to, to lighten our way through it by having certain pictures we've talked about a gerbil going round in circles thank you John we've talked about a forest clearing in the forest trying to find paths through the wood which turn back on themselves we've talked about the motorway service station that the guy from time to time takes a break and then seems to move in a different direction. We talked last week about a demolition site and the fact that the book sometimes feels as though everything in life is being demolished and then built up eventually on a new foundation. And we came to the conclusion that these final, final chapters are that building on uh, the demolition site that we long for. And I want to offer you one final uh, image, which is the image of a smoldering fire. Uh, you light a fire and maybe the wood is a bit damp and uh, it gets going, there's life in it, but there's a lot of smoke. But eventually um, it takes hold and at some wonderful moment, a beautiful flame leaps clear of the smoke and you know that the fire 
uh, is a light and is moving. And it's that image, well, it's not that image, that, that is one image, image that I offer you tonight. So, um, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to look at chapters 10, 11, and 12 in great detail. Every verse will take about, no, no. <laughs> We're going to move very quickly through it. And I'm doing what I've done uh, over the weeks, which is just to take snippets and offer you wisdom from the book of Ecclesiastes by the Spirit of God to guide our lives. Um, wisdom is, is, a, is a word which threads its way through the whole book. It, it probably wisdom and folly are, are, are the thread which holds the whole argument together if it can be held together. And in chapters 10 and 11... Uh, just want to offer to you three things that the man offers, offers to us about wisdom. He says the wise person will walk circumspectly. Chapter 10, verse 1 or verse 2. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Even as you walk along the road, as he walks along the road, the fool lacks sense and shows everyone how stupid he is. Verse 15, a fool's work wearies him. He does not know the way to town. It's an interesting little verse. Walking circumspectly, he says the fool a bit like a drunkard, he's weaving around from side to side. He doesn't know whether he's going to the right or whether he's going to the left. He doesn't know even the way into town. Someone has said he couldn't find his way on an escalator. Um, and that is the first image, that wisdom corrects that and wisdom allows us to work, walk carefully circumspectly, if you've ever watched a cat walking on the top of a wall, maybe uh, where there's glass, and how a cat so beautifully uh, balances itself and moves with circumspect. It's a bit like that. Three weeks ago, in going back from here, I fell on Brock Road, uh, full length, and broke my spectacles. Uh, neither here nor there, in a way. What really was the worry was that a young man came up behind me and said, come on, let's get you on your feet, old fella. And... Uh, <laughs> Oh, the shame of that. Uh, but, but the kindness too. Uh, whether he thought I was drunk, I don't know. But uh, to walk circumspectly, to walk purposefully, to find our way through the complexities of life by the grace of God is wisdom. And I want to invite you first of all tonight to watch how you walk not to weave around uncertainly, but to find your way. There are uncertainties, of course, and you try things, but there is a sense in which there is circumspection. You are walking um, with a set purpose to a goal. That is part of what it means, says the writer, to be wise. The second thing is that wisdom not only allows us to walk circumspectly, it allows us to invest in life carefully. Now, you go to chapter 11. We finished with chapter 10. That wasn't difficult, was it? Just one snippet out of it. Chapter 11, cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. 
this chapter is about investing in life and investing carefully so that there is a return for investment. You invest in all sorts of things. He's talking about investing in good harvest. He's talking about investing financially. And we're talking about investing in our life as God's children. Invest carefully that there may be a return. Cast your bread on the waters and see if it comes back buttered, sort of thing. So it's a loose translation of chapter 11, verse one. It is important to do that. And investment is never without risk. We talk loosely about luck. I'm not happy with the word luck as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, in a way, I don't think there's any such thing. And we use it, you listen to, to, the, uh, to people on the television and all the time they'll, they'll uh, talk to someone and they'll say goodbye and what they say is good luck. Oh, what a lot of nonsense, what do you mean good luck? Um, you make uh, your own life and you invest uh, with care. However, whilst I'm not happy about the word luck, nothing is without risk. And some people are risk averse. And that is not really the Christian way. There is risk. As a Christian, you are secure, but not necessarily safe. Okay? We all want to be safe. Jesus has made, keeps us safe. And the sense is that nothing hard or difficult will come because we belong to him. It's not true, is it, Tisha? Not true at all. You know. We know. We all know. So, in Christ, we are secure, but not necessarily safe. And so, when you go home, uh, as you've been doing the last week, you've, you've dashed home and you've opened your Bible and you've studied Ecclesiastes carefully. Read tonight, chapter 11, and learn a little bit more about what it means to invest carefully. And uh, so, so, the corollary to that, once you know that you are secure but not necessarily safe, you just go for it. Another word to cover this section would be crack on. Our, our son Robert says to crack on dad you snooze you lose all that sort of stuff get on with it seize life crack on and this is why this book is so wonderfully so human uh, doesn't piously say you know uh, do this that and the other he says crack on uh, take a risk uh, and cast your bread upon the waters the third bit of wisdom we are unable to walk circumspectly to invest carefully, and then to live cheerfully. So he says in the second half of chapter 11, that the, the, the investment bit is the first six verses of chapter 11. And the crack on thing, let's say is in verse six, sow your seed in the morning, and at evening, let not your hands be idle. For you do not know which will prosper, whether this or that or whether both will do equally well. So that's the feeling of just get on with it, crack on. Uh, you don't know what's gonna happen, um, but don't be lazy, don't be idle, don't get stuck, don't stagnate, don't freeze, 
because of the uncertainty of life. But under the hand of God, crack on. And then uh, the bit I was just about to, to say about living cheerfully comes in verses seven to 10. Lighting's not good or my eyes are not good. Light is sweet and it pleases the eye to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. He's never far away from this business of life is difficult and dark. You can't get away from it in Ecclesiastes. Be happy, young man and woman, while you are young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Okay, you lot over there. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all things God will bring you to judgment. <laughs> so then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are vanity. Again, a mixture. It's all encompassed with the fact that God is in control and God is judge. But he's saying also wisdom is just to enable you to, to enjoy life, to shine, be, to, 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 be, to be grateful, to be, to be full of hope. Follow your instincts, go for it. It's the same message again. And let your face shine as you stand under the sun. So I want to encourage you this simple wisdom tonight. Walk carefully. No, walk circumspectly, invest carefully, and live cheerfully. And let the joy of following God in Jesus Christ, and we'll come uh, to our faith in Jesus Christ at the end, let that show on your face. Nietzsche, a, a famous German philosopher and atheist, once said accusingly, you Christians need to look more redeemed if you want me to believe in your redeemer. Oh my goodness me. That's a word to take home, isn't it? You need to look more redeemed if you want me to be. To. And sometimes we offer Christ with a sour face and a heavy heart full of anxiety and doubt and fear. No, no, no. Not bright and cheerful despite the circumstances, but a steady joy that we know that God is in control and we can live cheerfully. So we come to chapter 12. And so far we've looked, or, or, or the, the, the preacher on the whole has looked at life under the sun without God. When he uses the phrase under the sun, he means life on earth, human life. And on the whole throughout these chapters, he's looked at living life on earth under the sun without any real reference to God. Now, in this final chapter, he's talking still about life on earth, life under the sun, but this time with God. And this is where the flame leaps clear of the smoke, and you feel the fire is alive. The man eventually comes and says, the answer to this is to believe in God. Not rocket science, you've just got to do it. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember him and fear him 
And uh, oh, the, the bit I want is uh, when the when the end comes, dust returns to the ground it comes from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Remember your Creator, who is at the beginning of your life, the Creator, and to whom your spirit will return at the end. Is this a hint of eternal life in the book of Ecclesiastes? I'm not sure. But he's saying at the end, your spirit will return to the God who gave it. In other words, he says, now we're going to look at life under the sun with God. With the God who encompasses and holds your whole life. And in effect, he's saying to live your life without that reference to God who created you and who will one day receive you is not a good idea. I was referring this morning... um, looking at the parable of the, uh, what were we looking at? Not the Good Samaritan. (laughs) Yeah, uh, the the parable of the prodigal son. And I was quoting a a lovely commentator, a man called Helmut Thielicke, who was a German um, professor of theology, but also a brilliant teacher. That's an unusual combination. You you can get brilliant preachers who uh, perhaps are not very bright, I think I'm one of those. <laughs> or you can get very bright theologians who don't express themselves. But, but Tilika could do both. But I just came across this in looking at the sermon this morning. He's talking about, again, about the, uh, the prodigal son. That he should have wanted to separate himself from his father now seems just as ridiculous as that a person should fret over being dependent on air and then hold his breath in order to assert his freedom. We cannot with impunity, actually without being utterly foolish, separate ourselves from the element in which we have lived, in which we live and have our being. We can't take God off as we would take off a shirt. To separate ourselves from the Father is at the bottom not merely unbelief, but simply the most monstrous kind of silliness. Now, that from a professor of, of philosophy and theology, I find very, very um, persuasive and compelling. At the end of the day, to live your life without the God who has created you is not just unbelief, it is daft, it's foolish. It won't work, it will get you nowhere. And yet, everyone is out, out the people out there Uh, in our world living in that way Uh, and thinking actually that they have wisdom on their side and it's us sitting in church who are a bit sort of uh, wrong in the head or feeble or can't just we need to overcome that assumption that is made in the secular world the people who live without God are the ones who have got to make the make the argument for the wisdom of their case and I don't think in the end of the day they can do it. So he comes to this conclusion that God is there at the beginning and the end and we are to live our life in that awareness. So he says three things. He says to remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember is not just, oh, I mustn't forget that. Remember is to call to mind constantly the presence of God. Remember day by day, moment by moment, if you go home tonight or whenever, you get up tomorrow morning, remember your creator. 
And then he says, fear God at the end of the chapter. Fear God. God is awesome. I always remember, we use the word awesome very easily. We have a nice cream cake and we say, that was awesome. And I remember a young lady called Jodie at our church in Guildford tackled me one day and she said, David, only God is awesome. Only God is awesome. Fear him. Not a craven fear, but a wise realization. As Ecclesiastes says elsewhere, God is on earth and I am on heaven. Let my words be few. So remember God, fear him, and then obey him. He says right at the end in chapter, the end, at the end of the chapter, he says, fear God and obey his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Verse 13 of chapter 12. So, God is there, says Ecclesiastes, at the beginning and is the end. To build your life with that, that awareness of his encompassing presence is utter folly. Remember him, fear him, obey him. That is all you have to do in order to make sense of this meaningless life. Just do it, he says. And do it now. Well, you have the chance. You may never get this moment again. And he puts it in terms of youth and age. And so we have this beautiful, beautiful passage about the most awful stuff, about being old, where your mind is not clear, where your eyes can't see, where your gnashes are loose, where your hearing is defective, where you've got arthritis, all that stuff. Uh, the commentators don't necessarily, um, or some commentators say, I, I don't, you mustn't read too much into the, into the poetry of chapter 12. But it is like Shakespeare. There's a famous passage in Shakespeare's As You Like It, which talks about coming to the end of life. He says, the last scene of all that ends this strange, eventful history is second childishness and mere oblivion. Sans eyes, sans teeth, sans taste, sans everything. Everything has fallen apart. One day that he says that's going to happen. Now, well, you've got your mind and you can see and you can hear and you can chew. Now is the time to remember your, your creator. And he's a, he's a fabulous passage. And he says, particularly before, because one day the end will come. Then man goes to eternal home. Another hint, maybe, of, of something beyond. And the mourners go about the streets. Remember God before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the picture is shattered in the spring or the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground from whence it came. So he says, one day the cord's going to be broken, the wheel's going to stop, you're going to die. Sorry. Uh, but that's the fact of the matter. And of course, when you're young, you think you'll never die. When you get to 80, you think, well, I will actually. And I think, you know, don't know whether I'll come to Guernsey again. I could drop off my perch next week. But uh, pray, pray God, I've got a little bit longer uh, to be here with my dear wife enjoying the life uh, that we have together
I don't know why I suddenly picked on you. So you're sitting there. And... No, it's quite all right. So in that context, and we mustn't be gloomy, it's realistic. Now is the time to put into action all this wisdom and to remember. So he's talked about life under the sun without God. And he's now talking at the end of life under the sun with God. And for you and for me as we go out tonight, we want to talk about life under the Son of God who loved me, loved me and gave himself for me. We want to talk about life with the Son who sets us free. We want to talk about life that is abundant beyond anything we could imagine or hope for. John chapter 10 verse 10 we want to talk and we want to go out with the wisdom of Ecclesiastes in our minds and our hearts but with the realization that this man was limited in his understanding at that stage he knew what he knew and we know so much more and we bring our lives into the sunshine of the presence of God revealed in Jesus Christ we sang this morning lovely song I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean oh how wonderful oh how marvelous and my song shall ever be oh how wonderful how marvelous is my saviour's love for me may God bless us as we travel this vain life and as we look forward to the life that knows no end. Amen.